Welcome to this message from Shofar Christian Church. May you experience God's grace as you listen to this word being preached. Amen. So I have a question for you that I want to start with. Um, If you could go back to one day in the Bible, one day that's recorded in the Bible, which day would it be? If you could time travel back. Okay, so I want you to turn to someone next to you or behind you or something and just share with them. If you could go to back, if you could time travel back to one day and one place in the Bible, what would it be? Just quickly share with them. Okay. So I'm sure... You guys um, had a few interesting answers and a few interesting uh, days in the Bible that you'd go back to. My wife said she'd go back to Adam and Eve and tell Eve, stop it. (laughs) Don't. Don't you dare. (laughs) But I said you could travel back in time to a day. I didn't say you can interfere. Okay, but but my wife's like that. She, uh, she, she... she cannot not get involved, you know. <laughs> when I'm driving, it's like that as well. She cannot not get involved. She has to, she has to get involved. <laughs> I, I must say, if I had to choose one day to travel back to one, one day in the Bible, I would probably choose Resurrection Sunday. And then I'll go to where the disciples are hanging out, and, I'm, and, I, and, I, and I'll walk around and I'll ask, okay, where's Cleopas? Where's Cleopas? I want to know where Cleopas is, because I'm going to, when he leaves here, I'm leaving with him. I'm going to walk with him to Emmaus, and there's a Bible study that's going to happen on that road <laughs> that I want to be part of. <laughs> so there you have a picture of three people walking on the way to Emmaus. Let's read from Luke chapter 24, verse 13 to 35. I hope you can see that. Isan says, I make my, my Bible text too small. If it's too small for you, just get out your smartphone or your, your Bible and um, just follow with us there. Okay, so it says <clears throat> that very uh, day, that, that's the Resurrection Sunday, the first day of the week, the Resurrection Sunday, uh, two of them, two of the disciples, were going to a village named, named Emmaus, about seven miles, that's 11 kilometers about, from Jerusalem. And they were talking to each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still looking sad. That's, that's a, a little detail I, I'd missed when I read the story before. The fact that they stopped. They stood still and they sort of dropped their heads and they were sad. Um, now I've lost my place. <laughs> Where am I? Uh, verse 18. Okay. And they stood... Uh, they stood yeah, verse, verse 17. They stood still looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, what things? You've got to love it when God plays dumb, eh? (laughs) 
And, and, and they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. Next slide. Next slide. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm doing the slides. Sorry. Sorry, Tubes. I'm doing the slides. <laughs> but... <laughs> But we had hoped, this is, this is interesting, but we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find the body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of them... Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Has it not, uh, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things Concerning himself. There we go. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going farther, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is towards evening and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed. And broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he was talking uh, to us on the road? While he opened to us the scriptures. And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And, uh, and they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together saying, The Lord is risen indeed. And has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he had be, how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. Lord, we thank you, Lord, for your word, and we thank you, Lord, that your word is living and powerful and sharper than a two-edged sword. And thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are here to make the word to just inscribe the word on our hearts and teach us the word. And we pray, Lord, that. You'll open our eyes, even as you open the eyes of these two disciples in Jesus' name. So, um, I really like this story. It's one of my favorite accounts in the Bible. It's uh, many different reasons why I, I love it. Uh, but, but two of the reasons why I really enjoy it is, number one, I love the delicious irony in the story. Did you pick up all the ironic statements, all the... The, 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 the really crafty and funny statements that, uh, that, that, um, that are very subtle, but, but, but that are there. And the other reason is because the message is so powerful. You, you see two disciples who in the beginning cannot see and who at the end can see. And it changes them. It changes them. So... Let's, uh, let's look at that for, for a while. Firstly, Cleopas. 
I, I always, I, I imagine, you know, imagine Cleopas could come down from heaven and come and talk to us this morning. Imagine what he'd say. Hi, I'm Cleopas. Yes, yes, I'm that guy. I'm the guy who asked Jesus if he's the only visitor in Jerusalem who doesn't know what's going on. <laughs> I'll never hear the end of it. <laughs> hey, Cleopas, tell us again. What did you ask Jesus? <laughs> I'm that guy. But I just want you to know, I'm not the only one who didn't recognize Jesus. I'm not the only one who didn't see him for his. Peter and Mary Magdalene and all the other guys didn't as well. And sometimes you don't see Jesus for who he is either. And you know what? If Cleopas said that to us, he'd be right. Even though just like these Cleopas and his, his companion, even though we know Jesus, we sometimes do not see him. When he's with us. You know, it's, 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 it's so ironic. He, he, he tells a story about, you know, Jesus of Nazareth, you know, a prophet, you know, mighty indeed and word before God and all the people, and how he was handed over and how he was crucified, um, and how the women went to the tomb and found it empty, and how the other disciples ran to the tomb and also found it empty. And then he ends off by saying this. But him they did not see. <laughs> Here you have someone who's talking to Jesus, who's standing right in front of Jesus, looking at him and saying to him about the other disciples, him they did not see. <laughs> I mean, how ironic is that? But, but so often we do that too. We look straight at Jesus and we don't see him. How many of us have gone to small group and Jesus has been there and we didn't see him? Just like just like these two disciples, we were discussing, seriously discussing the Word of God and the things that, the gospel, the things that has happened to Jesus and the things that, that God says in His Word and, and that God has done. We seriously discuss it. And Jesus comes and He joins us because He says, where two or three are gathered in my name, I'm in their midst. And He comes and He joins us and He's with us. And we don't see Him. We don't notice Him. We don't even know He's there. We miss him completely. We as human beings tend to do that. Um, so, so, someone referred to what Cleopas said, because he, he gives a long speech. He starts off saying, Jesus of Nazareth, everything that he did, you know, he saw his miracles, he was... A, mighty indeed and in word and i mean those are historic facts you know the fact that he was crucified historic fact not only you know written down in the bible but in many other places the fact that his body was not found you know if the authorities had taken the body they would have squashed the the new movement that started around the resurrection by producing the body and saying no he's not risen here's his body See for yourself, he's dead. The fact that his body was not found, but the fact that many people, over a period of 40 days, hundreds of people testified that they saw him alive, resurrected. But that is the part that's missing from Cleopas. I mean, you, you, you read the gospel according to Cleopas, and, and it has all the facts of the gospel of Luke, you know, a summary of all the facts of the gospel of Luke. 
up until the resurrection. You know, even up in, after the resurrection and, and, and some of the sightings. But you don't sense that he actually believes it. Because he, he says, but we had hoped. We had hoped he would be the one to redeem Israel. And, and how many of us, I wonder, as Christians, believe all the facts about Jesus except this one fact that makes all the other facts relevant? The fact that he's risen. The fact that he's resurrected. The fact that he, he's risen from the dead. And um, so we get a, a cute and a, and a very powerful glimpse into the psyche of disciples who don't believe in the resurrection. And, and that short little phrase that I, that I showed out to you in, in the text sort of summarizes it, encapsulates it. Jesus comes and he says, now what are you talking about? And they say what they're talking about. Uh, they, they first ask, you know, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem that doesn't know what's going on? He says, what thing's going on? And then they, they stop and they look sad. They sort of look downcast. And, and that sort of physically embodies how you will feel if you're a Christian but you don't live as though the resurrection is true. Because just like these disciples, you can be a disciple of Jesus, a follower of Jesus, love Jesus. I mean, you can hear the, the disappointment and the anguish even in their voices as they're talking about They clearly love Jesus. They're clearly deeply disappointed. But if you do not live as if the resurrection is true, you will also stop looking sad, downhearted, downcast. Um, if you don't believe in the resurrection, it will first stop you in your tracks. It will paralyze you. You know, there are so many people who live in this world <clears throat> as if, you know, with a secular mindset, as if we are just complicated chemical reactions. Viruses and germs that have evolved into human beings. Glorified pond scum. The products of chance. Okay? So, so we have no meaning. We created with no meaning. Ra randomness cannot create meaning. So if you believe in evolution, there can be no meaning to life. There can be no right and wrong. It's just survival of the fittest. And when you die, you just become worm food. There's nothing more. There's no soul. There's no spirit. There's no extra dimension. There's no eternal life. There's no resurrection. So nothing, I mean, here's the thing. If you believe that, if you, are cons if you think about what you believe, if you believe that and you really think about what you believe, and you live consistently with what you believe, you'll have no hope. You'll stop and you'll look sad. <laughs> because there's no hope. There's no meaning in life. But many of those people who live like that, who believe that, Say, oh no, you know, they're so excited about life. And, oh, it's so wrong, you know, to oppress other people. You know, and, and be mean and kill people. Says who? Based on what you believe. So, so the only way you can have any hope or any joy in life if you don't believe in the resurrection is if you don't think about it. If you don't live consistently with what you believe. And yet there are so many people who live like that. They don't believe in the resurrection. They don't believe in eternal life. They don't believe that there's any hope after this life. And yet they live as though there is. And yet they say that we should treat people as though they're more than just chemical reactions. Even though they believe they're only chemical reactions. 
Can you see how inconsistent we are as human beings? <clears throat> the problem is that there are many of us as Christians who in theory believe in the resurrection, but who live as though it has not happened. And it's not going to happen. Are you standing still? Are you sad? There's no, nothing wrong with being sad. There's nothing wrong with sometimes getting stuck. But if you are a Christian and you stay stuck, then you're not thinking about what you believe. Because if you thought about what you believe, then you'd realize, I might be stuck now, but everything's going to be all right. Everything's going to work out fine in the end. No matter what goes wrong in this life, I will be resurrected. I will be raised from the dead. And everything evil, everything sad, everything broken will be undone. Everything will be all right. Everything will be better than all right. It's not like God's just going to restore us to what we were in the Garden of Eden. He's going to take us way beyond that. <clears throat> it's not just restored human bodies. It's going to be glorified, resurrected bodies that we have. So, um, and, and I just want to also remind us of this. You know, whether, whether you believe in Jesus and the resurrection or whether you're still trying to make up your mind whether you should believe it, the evidence for this is strong. The evidence for this is very strong. I mean, sometimes we look at this, the eyewitness accounts of guys like Cleopas, and, and, and many people try to dismiss them by saying, oh, they, they just believe in the resurrection because they wanted to. Does Cleopas look like he's being gullible? Does he look like, he, like he's quick to believe in the resurrection? I mean, he's heard the testimony of the women who found the tomb empty. He's heard the testimony of Peter and John who ran there and found it empty as well. He's heard the testimony of the angels, as reported by the women, that he's alive. And still he doesn't believe. That looks to me like someone who's skeptical rather than gullible. And yet... Something happened to him on this road. He saw something in this stranger that quietly joined them. When his eyes were opened, that convinced him of the resurrection. And not only that, but think about this. You know, some people just try and dismiss, dismiss the, the resurrection and the gospel by saying... Um, no, it's just a made-up story. You know, Jesus died and, and he, they stole, the disciples stole his body and, and they made up a story, you know, made up a religion, you know, for themselves. If you were going to make up a story about the resurrection, would you make it up in such a way that, that the resurrected Jesus is so ordinary that he can walk with two disciples without them even realizing that it's him? No. No one would make up a story like that. I mean, Jesus would enter, if we were making up the story, Jesus would enter in and he'd fall out of the sky and do a superhero landing like this. <laughs> you know, like, like Thor does in Infinity War and then he'd run and he'd say, bring me Thanos, you know, or something like that. It would be spectacular. There'd be thunder and lightning. There would be a soundtrack and there'd definitely be a superhero landing. I can guarantee you that. There was none of that. It, Jesus was extraordinarily ordinary, so much so that they missed him. I mean, why would they make up a story? In fact, in fact, 
There are false gospels, the Gnostic gospels, like the gospel of Peter, which was not written by Peter, which was written hundreds of years later by people who were not eyewitnesses. And, and their resurrection accounts are like this, you know, two, you know, the, 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 the soldiers are standing by the, by the cave, you know, with a stone there, and then, this, you know, two angels come down, huge angels from heaven, and, and they go in and the stone explodes outwards, and, and then they come out carrying another third person, you know, among them, and then it says something like, the, the heads of the two angels went up into heaven, but the head of the third one went beyond the heavens. If anyone made up a resurrection account, that is how it would sound. Very different from what we read here. Jesus so ordinary, you miss him. Just walks with the disciples. Why I'm saying that is it's important for us to realize that this rings true because it is true. Jesus really did rise from the dead. But um, their eyes were they were kept from recognizing him. I wonder why. And I, maybe I, I don't think I can give you a full answer to that. The only answer I can give you, because it seems like God kept them from recognizing Jesus. And the only reason I can think of why God kept them temporarily, so it's, it's, a, it's a story of delayed recognition. Why did God keep them temporarily from recognizing Jesus? Is because he didn't just want them to believe the right thing, the resurrection. He wanted them to believe the right thing for the right reason. Um, and I'll, I'll say more about, about that in a moment. In fact, they, they are disappointed. And, and here's the other irony again. I mean, <laughs> we read it and, 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 and we find it so ironic. Um, you know, it says, let me just see. Verse 21, they're at the top of the screen. But we had hoped, they talk about his death, his crucifixion. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. <laughs> we read that knowing what we know about the gospel now. And, and, and we find it almost laughable, ridiculous, very ironic. You see, they didn't see the resurrected Jesus. But the problem also, the other problem Cleopas had is he didn't see, they didn't see their need for redemption. Remember, this was Passover. They obviously lived in, in, in Amos, and that's why they walked to Jerusalem and they, they were there for Passover. Passover was a celebration of God redeeming Israel out of Egypt. Remember, with the ten plagues and the Passover lamb that was slaughtered and the blood painted on the doorposts, and Moses reading them, leading them through the Red Sea and to Mount Sinai. That was what they were celebrating. And clearly, Cleopas was disappointed because he thought what Israel needed, the redemption Israel needed now, was the same as the redemption they needed when they were slaves in Egypt, oppressed by Pharaoh. Because now, instead of being in Egypt, oppressed by Pharaoh, they were in Israel, oppressed by the Romans. And all he saw, the redemption, because the word redemption means to buy someone freedom. So, so when, you, when you went to, I mean, we only use the word redeem like in, like in you know, when you're talking about pawn shops or, you know, when, or when you go and redeem a gift, you know. But, but the word redeem meant 
When, you, when someone was a slave, someone had been sold as a slave, or they'd, they'd gotten into debt, or they'd stolen money, and they couldn't repay back the seven times that they had to repay, um, then they became a slave, and they had to work off their debt. And their family could go and take money and, and pay off the debt and redeem them and buy them free. And that's what God did for Israel when they were slaves in Egypt. He redeemed them. He paid the price to set them free. And, 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 and Cleopas was thinking, the slavery we were experiencing is a political slavery, like in Egypt. And we need that kind of freedom. We need a change of circumstances. We need the political situation to change because politically we're oppressed. And that was true, but that was less than half the story. He only saw the slavery on the outside. He didn't see the slavery on the inside. He didn't see nearly the whole of what God had to redeem us of. Jesus says in John 8, all sin is slavery. When you sin, you're a slave to sin. You're in bondage to sin. It keeps you captive. And anyone who's ever been addicted to anything knows that. That thing that you're addicted to, it, it, it makes you a slave. It keeps you captive. In the beginning, you start off, and the thing, you know, is sort of a, a solution. You know, it's, it's, it's sort of a situation where you're under stress, you're in pain, you're, you need comfort, and you, you, you grab to that thing for comfort. You know, whether it's a relationship, whether it's a substance, whether it's, you know, whatever it is. And then... You become addicted to it. And it, it comforts you for a while. But the problem is you build up a tolerance. And all of a sudden, the thing that comforted you does not comfort you anymore unless you have more of it. And then eventually you get to a place where the thing that used to comfort you becomes the problem. The alcohol that you're now drinking too much of. You know, when you get... You know, at the end of the week when you, you sort of empty the drum, you find there are like a hundred big boys lying in there and you're the only one that's drinking. And you know, oh, oh, I'm in trouble, you know. I better be careful. Someone's going to find out. <laughs> Not, oh, I'm going to... Anyway, some of you will get the joke. <laughs> um, the thing, the very thing that comforted you starts causing you anxiety and stress and being the problem. And then you're caught. Then you're stuck. And with all sin, it's like that. Our sin starts off as a solution, a thing that we look to for comfort. And then we start getting desensitized and we need more and more of it. And eventually the sin that used to comfort us starts disturbing us, start, starts giving us anguish and, and, and um, agonizing us. And then we're captured, we're slaves. So, Cleopas and his companion didn't realize the extent to which they were slaves and the extent to which they needed to be redeemed, not only on the outside politically, but on the inside spiritually. They weren't just political um, slaves of, of, of Rome. They were spiritual slaves of sin and Satan. They didn't realize the extent to which they needed to be redeemed. Um, so... So God closes their eyes for a moment and allows them to, to slowly have a delayed discovery of what, um, of what 
he has done to redeem us. And the irony of his statement, but we had hoped that he would be the one to redeem Israel, is that the very thing, the very thing, Cleopas, that causes Cleopas to doubt Jesus' redemption is actually the thing that caused his redemption. His death on the cross. That was the thing that caused Cleopas to doubt that Jesus was the Redeemer. But we know that that is the very thing that made Jesus the Redeemer. Jesus redeemed them and redeemed us by dying on the cross. And I, and I just want to encourage you with this. There's, there's, a, there's a lesson here for us. Not only that the, the price of the redemption Jesus paid for us. I mean, Leanne was saying how he loves us. How much you value something can be seen in how much you're willing to pay for it. There's nothing worth more than the life of the divine Son of God who is perfect in every way. The whole universe and all the gold, silver, and diamonds in the universe is not even nearly as valuable as his life and his blood. And that is what he was willing to pay for us. That is what he was willing to pay for you. Do you see how much he values you? If he was willing to redeem you at that price, do you, I mean, we don't see, of course. I mean, if we did see, we would live differently. We don't fully see. We only partially see at best. But more than that, more than that, I mean, they were looking for redemption, and then Jesus goes and dies. And the whole world falls apart because they love him. They were following him. They were his disciples. Their world falls apart. And they didn't realize what God was doing when Jesus died. And, and here's, here's the second lesson I want, I want us to learn from this. When things, when God is involved, and with his children he's always involved, he makes all things work together for our good. <laughs> Right? We sang that. Okay? God is always involved. And when God is involved and He's making all things work together for our good, then when things seem to be falling apart, they're actually falling into place. Hello? Things to Cleopas seem to be falling apart completely. But he didn't know they were falling into place for eternity. And God was redeeming. The very thing he has hoped for, God was doing in a very unexpected way. And not just redeeming Israel, but redeeming everyone. The whole world. Isn't that amazing? Do you feel down? Are you, do you feel sad because you feel things are falling apart? Well, this story tells you that things are actually falling in place. You can lift your head. It tells you that even if the worst happens, you will be raised from the dead and become a glorious being that outshines the sun and that outlasts the stars. That is the hope that we have. That is the hope that we have. Okay, so they didn't see the resurrected Jesus and they didn't see their need for redemption until they saw Jesus in the Scriptures. <laughs> notice there are lots of other resurrection accounts and in almost all of them 
Jesus, or in many of them at least, Jesus shows the disciples what? His hands and his feet and his side. He shows them his wounds. Does he show Cleopas and his companion the wounds? No. What does he show them? He shows them the scripture. What does that tell you? There's a message there. (laughs) The message is that we don't have to see the wounds in his hands and feet and in his side firsthand. We can read about it in Scripture, or we can read about the prophecy in Scripture. It's just as good as seeing Jesus' hands. And in fact, until you believe the Scriptures, seeing the wounds in his hands won't really do that much for you. Um, And Jesus here just very subtly corrects Cleopas' idea of what the gospel is. Jesus says, it was necessary. It was a gospel necessity for the Messiah, the Christ, the anointed one, to suffer and to then enter into his glory. And there are always those two steps to the gospel. There's the bad news and there's the good news. There's the death and there's the resurrection. There's the suffering and there's the glory. That is the full gospel. And, and there are many false gospels today which try and shy away from that. Which try and say, no, 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 we don't like the suffering part. We'll, make, we'll take the bad news away from the good news and, and just make it good news. Just glory. No suffering. We had a, a worship team um, gathering yesterday morning and, and one of the songs that we sang was uh, Blessed Be the Name of the Lord. And... Um, there's this, the bridge part says, you give and take away, you give and take away. My heart will choose to say, blessed be your name. You know that song? And it's, a, it's almost a direct quote from Job's life. Because Job said, the Lord has given and the Lord has taken away, blessed be the name of the Lord. Right? But in mo- mo- modern Christianity, many people don't want to say the Lord gives and the Lord takes away, blessed be the name of the Lord. They just want to say, the Lord gives, blessed be the name of the Lord. <laughs> We don't like the taking away part. We don't like the bad news part. We don't like the suffering part. But just as for Jesus, there had to be suffering before glory, so the Bible says for us, there has to be suffering before this glory. Doesn't the Bible say that? Am I wrong? No. It says in many different places that even as Christ took up his cross to save us, so if we want to follow him, we have to take up our cross and follow him. Suffering into glory. Just as Christ, just as Christ had to suffer to enter into his glory, so we, through many sufferings, must enter the kingdom. That's not a gospel that we like. Just like Cleopas, we say, that's not good news. (laughs) I don't like that good news. But that is the gospel. That's good news. Bad news, good news. Suffering, glory. Um, notice here what Jesus says it says in let me just see yeah here we go sort of towards the end of that page verse 27 it says and beginning with Moses and all the prophets he interpreted to them in all the scriptures in all the scriptures the things concerning himself all the scriptures You see, you won't see the resurrected Jesus and you won't see your need for redemption unless you see Jesus 
Not just in Scripture, but in all the Scriptures. And, and yet Jesus is saying a surprising thing. Remember, the, the Scriptures he's referring to there is the Old Testament. The New Testament wasn't written yet. It was still being lived out. Okay? And in all the Old Testament Scriptures, Jesus says all the Old Testament Scriptures are about Him. It's always been about Him. Do you believe that? Unless you can start to see that, unless you can start to read even the Old Testament through a gospel lens and see that it's all really about Jesus, you will never see the resurrected Jesus the, the, the way they did. Your eyes are still closed. And your eyes need to be opened like Cleopas's was. Um, Tim Keller says there are basically two ways to read the Bible. As though it's all about you or as though it's all about Jesus. And, 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 and that's important. Remember, that this was around the time of, of, of Passover. And, and, and it says, Moses, which is like the, the Torah, the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, and the prophets, which covers the whole Bible. And it even says all the scriptures. But if you look at, the, at, at Exodus, for instance, where the Passover happened, the original Passover and the original Exodus, There's the, the ten plagues. There's, the, there's, the, there's, there's Moses coming as a prophet, mighty in deed and word. It literally says that in, in the book of Acts about Moses. Okay? Mighty in deed and word. So, so he was saying, we thought he was a prophet like Moses, who will not only prophesy, but who has the power of deed to lead people into freedom and, and redemption. Okay? We had thought he's like Moses, but what they, what they didn't see was that it's not just Moses who points to Jesus. The firstborn, remember what had to happen for the Israelites to get out of Egypt? The death of the firstborn. Well, firstly, the death of the lamb, the Passover lamb, had to be slain, and the blood painted on the doorpost. That points to Jesus as well. They didn't see that one coming, somehow. Then the firstborn died. The firstborn of man and beast died. That firstborn death Remember, the firstborn represents the family. And Jesus, as the ultimate firstborn, died so that we could be redeemed. So the problem was that they didn't see Jesus in the Scriptures. They thought, oh yeah, you know, we must just be faithful to God and make the, the, the sacrifice of the, the Passover lamb. Then we will be saved. Um, yeah, uh, we must just stay indoors when God commands us to stay indoors behind the blood painted on the doorpost, and then God will kill our enemies. Yeah, we must be good leaders like Moses, you know, and, 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 and shout, you know, defiantly in the face of Pharaoh, and then lead the people of God into freedom. We, 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 me, me, me. The Bible is all about me. And so often we read the Bible like that. And it's a little bit inspirational when you read like, Moses trusted in the Lord, and despite his speech defect and his stuttering, God used him, you know, an ordinary man to do extraordinary things and lead the people to freedom. But that will only encourage you and inspire you for a little while. When you start thinking about it, you'll realize, oops, this is not so inspiring. But when you see that Jesus is the prophet like Moses, and he's actually the one that leads us to freedom, that's inspiring. That is hopeful. So we need to, like them, 
see Jesus in all the scriptures. Um, like them, our foolish hearts are slow to believe the scriptures. He says, oh, foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Oh, foolish ones. Our foolish hearts are just as slow as theirs. But you know, the good news is that as Jesus speaks his word into your heart. Remember what they said at the end? Oops. What did they say at the end? Did not our hearts burn within us? Did not our hearts burn within us? Their hearts were slow. Their hearts were dead. Their hearts were hard. But the gospel and Jesus, the Messiah, the anointed one, his physical hands didn't touch them. But he's the anointed king. He has the Holy Spirit. And he could send the Holy Spirit with his word, with the gospel, the good news of the gospel, into their hearts. And their hearts were burning. And it's not the bad kind of heartburn, you know, where you have to drink Enos, you know, and... It's, it's the good kind of heartburn where your heart is warmed. In fact, your heart burns until it's melted. That heart, metal heart is melted down. And we so often try and change our own hearts. Try and bend that metal heart. The best you'll do if you're strong enough is break it. If you want to bend metal, you need to heat it until it's so hot that you can bend it easily. And then when it cools down, it settles in that new form. And that's what the gospel and the spirit do in our human hearts. It melts our hearts down to a place where God can change it. Where he can mold it and make it into what he wants it to be. That is what the gospel does. And, and what Jesus was saying here is they couldn't see. They were kept from recognizing him. From, their eyes were kept from recognizing him. You know, they said, but him they didn't see. When Jesus, the one they were talking about, was right in front of their eyes. Jesus was saying, you don't see me in Scripture. All of Scripture is about me. You don't see me there. But the problem wasn't with their eyes. The problem was with their hearts. Their hearts needed to change so that their eyes could see. And Jesus did that. He changed their hearts. And you know when he did it? Sorry, here's another nice little picture of... <laughs> of the three walking with Jesus. But it happened when the bread was broken. And I, I want to just end off quickly with, with this. <sighs> they were thinking back of the Passover. One of the things you had in the Passover was the breaking of bread. And you had the lamb that was slain. And they were there on the Last Supper when Jesus, they were with, with the apostles. That's where, why they went back. So they were there for the Last Supper. Some of us think it was just a the 12, disciples, the 12 apostles were there. It wasn't. There were more people. Um, so Cleopas was there. He heard Jesus say, take, eat. This is my body which is broken for you. He saw him breaking the bread. And, and here Jesus does exactly the same thing. He does the same thing with the feeding of the 5,000. The, the words it uses there is exactly the same. He took the bread. He blessed it. He broke it. And he gave it. That's exactly what he did when he fed the 5,000. That's exactly what he did with the Last Supper when he instituted communion. He did exactly the same thing. And here he does exactly the same thing, which would have been done with the Passover as well. He took the bread, he blessed it, he broke it, and he gave it. And all of a sudden, their eyes were opened. 
one of my favorite paintings of, the, of Cleopas's eyes being opened and realizing, oh, <laughs> this is Jesus. I had hoped, <laughs> and what I had hoped Jesus had done better than I could have expected. More than I could have hoped. Okay, so they didn't see the resurrected Jesus and they didn't see the need, their need for salvation until they saw him in all the scriptures and in the broken bread. And we can see him too. Do you live as if you will be resurrected? Do you live as if Jesus was resurrected? Do you live as if that is really true? I know I don't always. I don't think any of us always do. But we want to, right? Let's stand. You to, I want you to go home. Because of coronavirus, I, I decided it, it'll be too complicated to actually break bread, <laughs> to, to actually break bread together. It would be too complicated. But I want you to go home, and I want you to go and break bread. And I want you to see Jesus. See what he has done for you. See how much he loves you. Really see him. There's a old tradition in traditional churches, Orthodox, Greek Orthodox churches and stuff, where the service is ended by the pastor saying he's risen and then the congregation answers with the words of the disciples, he's risen indeed. And I just want to encourage you as we go, when the disciples, when their eyes were opened and they saw Jesus, what was the first thing they did? They immediately went, got up, went to Jerusalem, they wanted to tell someone, if you really believe that the resurrection is true, you want to tell people about it. You want to tell them, He's risen indeed. Amen? Do you believe that? Okay, so I'm going to say, The Lord is risen, and then you answer, He's risen indeed. Okay? The Lord is risen. The Lord is risen. The Lord is risen. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Shofar Joburg. May the grace you receive produce God's greatest glory and your greatest good. For more information and sermons, please visit our website at www.shofar.joburg.com.